0: Welcome back to So Money, everyone. Happy Sunday, Sunday, May 3rd, 2015. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. This is Ask Farnoosh. Lots of questions to get to, starting with Tola. Tola says, I'm 26 years old. I live at home in New York City with my parents. I have three other siblings, 16, 19, and 25, in a two-bedroom apartment. Wow. Tola says, I have $9,000 in savings, $25,000 in student loans, paying down the student loans, and I make $45,000 a year looking for a higher paying job. And I want to move out and get my own apartment, no roommates. At what stage should I move out? I want to move out as soon as possible. I also plan on pursuing a graduate degree. Well, Tola I can actually relate not to the part about living with three other siblings and my parents in a two-bedroom in New York, but I was also 26 making around forty five thousand a year uh, with about twenty five thousand in student loans, and I live with a married couple. <laughs> Uh, which actually is a trend now. It was in the New York Times real estate section recently. It was like, hey, you want to save money? Find a married couple because chances are they need to save money too. And they're uh, renting and subletting their bedrooms out to young people. So I paid about $550 a month living on the Upper West Side and in a beautiful building the catch was I had to live with a divorced, well, I should say a married couple that was about to get divorced, little known, little beknownst to me and also to them. They were happy when I moved in and then um, things went south and it wasn't my fault. Uh, I was hardly there, uh, but I digress. That was my story, but back to you. I would say that I think it's time to move out now. You're wondering when to do this? I'd say now. You know, that's seven people under one roof with two bedrooms. That is chaotic. That is, I would imagine, a very, very stressful situation to be in, especially when you're 26 and you want to you know, be socializing and come home to maybe some quiet and do work, you'd say you don't want to have roommates, but I think you're going to have to. The income that you're earning now to live in the New York city area, it would be very difficult to find something like I found, you know, years ago for $550 a month that might exist, but it's, it's a diamond in the rough. So realistically, I think what you want to do is get two friends or two roommates that you meet through friends of friends, and all three of you would want to go apartment hunting. And I did a little bit of math given what you earn. So you make, say, $45,000 after taxes. You're left with about $35,000 a year. Monthly, that's about $2,900. Now, my rule of thumb is you don't want to spend more than 30% Of your take-home pay on housing. And as much as you can squeeze in utilities into that 30% figure, the better. So really, you shouldn't be spending more than $900, $800 a month in rent. Uh, So can you and two roommates with a similar budget find a three-bedroom in New York City for under, say, $2,500 a month? absolutely you can. Now, you're not gonna live in the West Village. You're not gonna live in some place fancy like Brooklyn Heights or the Upper West Side or the Upper East Side, but I went on to nakedapartments.com, which is one of my favorite sites to look for rentals, and there I typed in you know $2,500 a month, three bedrooms, and there are numerous listings. So if you're really serious about this, the apartments are out there, and the fact that you have savings is good is important because landlords will want usually a down payment, uh, and they will check your credit, so make sure your credit's good. But I would say the time to move is now. If you're 26 years old, time to once and for all officially enter the real world. Now, that said, had you been living in a home where there were 10 bedrooms and you know lots of space, free rent, I would say stick with that. But it sounds like where you're living is really, really Weighing on you, and it's also probably weighing on your family. It's just too many people under one roof. So, if you can move out and give them some extra room and you some extra room, I think it's a win win. It's going to cost you money, but you know what? You got to grow up at some point. (laughs) You just got to get on with your life at some point. So, thanks for your question, and good luck, and good luck with grad school. Anne writes in, she says, I have a question about saving for retirement when you're a long-term freelancer on payroll at a company that doesn't offer a 401k. My accountant told me that I'm ineligible for a SEP IRA because I'm paid through a W-2. I'm 41 years old and have a little over $100,000 in a combination of Roth, traditional, and rollover IRAs. My financial advisor would like me to be saving $10,000 per year for retirement, I think it should be more like 20000 I already contribute the maximum to an IRA every year, but how can I be saving more without a 401k or a SEP IRA? Well, Anne, this is a very important question that you bring up because I think there are a lot of people in this country in your shoes, and I first want to just address this discrepancy between what you think you should need to be doing and what your financial advisor thinks you should be doing and I would really revisit this with him or her and just say how are you figuring this out you know what what sort of projections are you using to feel comfortable with me only saving $10,000 a year i feel like that's too low where is this going to leave me by the time i'm 65 and and see hear him or her out maybe they're right and maybe you don't have to be saving twenty thousand dollars. maybe it's more that you feel you have to because um, you're worried but perhaps your financial advisor can ease your concerns. Uh, maybe th- instead of saving twenty thousand dollars for retirement, you do ten thousand for retirement and then you do ten thousand a year for a couple of years to replenish or f- or feed your rainy day account if that's suffering now, Your accountant is right. You need to be getting paid through a 1099, which identifies you as an individual contractor, an independent contractor, to be able to be eligible for a SEP IRA. In the meantime, diversifying your investments over over these different individual retirement accounts is the way to go. But I would just say that it might be worth revisiting your employment designation with your with your employer and say, can I, if this is important to you and you want to get a SEP IRA, because the, with a SEP IRA, people should know you can invest a lot more than, you know, a, I think it's like $5,500 a year, which is what a traditional IRA allows you to do currently. But with a SEP IRA, if you're an individual, uh, contractor, independent contractor, small business owner—you can invest, you know, tens of thousands of dollars a year in a SEP IRA. It's a lot more, so it can get you ahead if you need to uh, be more aggressive with retirement. I would just say to your HR manager, say, "Can I pay? Can you pay me through a 1099? You know, which would then designate me to an independent contractor status." And then I can, you know, be able to have more options as it comes to retirement. And frankly, if you are taking on multiple jobs right now as a freelancer and this job isn't your main job, then I would think that you would be close to qualifying as a contractor. Uh, so, so maybe this is a conversation worth having with your employer at some point if you really want to make this transition so that you can have more options as far as retirement goes. So try that and tell me how it goes. Taos writes in and says, my husband and I make about $48,000 a year before taxes as actors and teaching artists. We've worked over the past two years to save $8,000 in an emergency fund. I owe 4,800 in student loans. Is it worth taking money from the emergency fund and getting rid of the student loan debt and then replenishing each month with the same amount that I was putting towards the student loans, which was about $123? I think that's an okay plan. I do. I, I like, I was, I am one who did pay off her student loans with, in one fell swoop and it felt Awesome, and you know some people might say, "Well, you're going to lose the interest rate deduction." You know, you'll uh, it might um, fall off your credit report, but honestly, it is a great feeling. And if you can do this, uh, you're going to save a ton of money in interest over the life of this loan, which is now going to be gone in a day. <laughs> so I say go for it. And I like your plan. I like your strategy of pretending as though the debt is still there, and putting that monthly contribution that you were putting towards the student loans, now towards emergency savings. And if you can, I would be even a little bit more aggressive. Instead of $123, try $200. Uh, I did a little bit of math for you, and I found out that with paying maybe an extra $80 a month towards replenishing your emergency reserves, you will be able to go get back at 8,000 in 16 months versus 26 months. So almost a year sooner with just an extra 80 bucks a month. I, you know, it sounds maybe a little counterintuitive, but I like the idea of taking money out of savings. You're not taking all of savings, right? You're taking like, you know, in this case, um, a little bit more than half, and putting it towards your student loans, which will be a nice psychological relief, a nice emotional burden lifted. But also, you will be saving money, tons of money, in interest over the life of that loan. And then, if you can keep up with those, uh, if you can keep up with that saving, you'll be in you'll be in a good place. Thanks, Taos, for your question. Amy writes and she says, "How do I survive a long distance relationship and not go broke or into debt?" And she puts in parentheses that the relationship is 450 miles apart, this uh, loved one. So Amy, you know, my husband and I, we were long distance for a long time before we got married and before we moved in together. It wasn't as distant as you. He was in Philly and I in New York, so it was about a... I want to say like 120 mile difference, but it was, it you know, over the span of two, three years of commuting to see each other, it was an investment and we trained it. We, we took um, the bus. It actually it was really cool. Megabus launched, uh, during our relationship. And at the time they were promoting like $1 rise. So a couple times we went back and forth for a dollar, which was crazy. Now it's like 20, but that's, and that's still good. But I would say that if you have a car driving would be the cheapest way to get around, often, unless you find like really, really exceptionally good fares uh, to fly. And sometimes you do find like $99 flights. I don't know where you're going to and from, but, you know, look for things like Megabus, um, Greyhound, or if you don't have a car, like Zipcar, you can rent a car for a weekend. And rather than going the full 450 miles, if the two of you can meet equidistant, uh, that would save money and it would also save time. If you drove you know, three hours and he drove three hours, then you can meet somewhere in the middle, somewhere that would be kind of like an adventure too, you know, fun, romantic. I I'm a big fan of that. Or maybe just keeping an eye out for deals where you might find a like a ninety-nine dollar flight from Southwest to destination X and you can both score this. So that would be a cheap way to get together and fun too. Again, like kind of think of it as like if you're gonna be long distance and you're gonna have to you know, take time out to see each other, why don't you make it really fun? And maybe you don't see each other every weekend, but maybe it's every other weekend or once every few weeks, but you go and do something spectacular for a few days. And it's something you can plan around. And I would say, you know, the cool thing about going to new, new places is that you can go to sites like Groupon and Guilt City and find really good deals for all sorts of adventures, events, restaurants in that town. So you're kind of enjoying each other, but you're also enjoying a new experience as well. So that's what I would do. And then in the meantime, fill all of your, um correspondences with Skype Skype's great cuz it's free and you can see each other and it's you know of course you can if you have iPhones you can chat do video chats so that stuff wasn't around really when I was dating my husband it, it probably was but we weren't really in tune to it so now this is everywhere and I think you should take advantage of it and here's something else that I would encourage you to do with your partner talk about money if this is going to be a big investment and possible burden for you the spending of this money to go and see him or her every weekend or ever so often talk about this is really opening up the doors to talk about your finances and do that earlier than later so that all the expectations are being met so that you're managing expectations and you're being honest too and I think that's an opportunity here for you actually to be really communicative about money at an earlier part in your relationship and do think longer term you know What about in a few years, you know, would either one of you be okay with moving either to each other's home destinations, towns, or someplace new, you know, worth having those conversations as well, because if that's going to mean a transition of jobs or something else, better to know that sooner than later, right? So just manage each other's expectations. That's the biggest advice I can give you. Congrats on the relationship. I hope it works out and please let us know how things are going. And that was a nice way to wrap because it is Sunday. I hope you're all having a great weekend, getting out there, enjoying time with your families, your friends, your loved ones. I plan to go out today and really soak up the sun and go to the playground with Evan. So thank you very much for tuning in. I will see you guys right back here tomorrow for a fresh episode of So Money. In the meantime, I hope your day is so money.